listening to the Power Up Podcast with your superpower experts. This is the place where we explore real-life superpowers and give you the tools to unlock your own. Hello, everyone. This is Tonya Don Reckla, your superpower expert, and I'm so excited to have with us today Steve Farber. He is such a delightful person, and I know you're going to feel that the second he starts speaking here. But before I let him do that, I want to brag about him a little bit and talk about the fact that he's an Inc.com columnist. He's got three amazing books out there. Radical Leap for sure came about at a time when I needed a bit of a wake-up call. In uh, the second book, Radical Edge, and then the third, Greater Than Yourself, all kind of work around this concept of leadership and who we are in the world and how to take those to higher and higher and higher levels, I guess we would say. So through the organization that he operates, Extreme Leadership, he's changing the world. As you know, we love to attract those kinds of people over here at Superpower Experts. So without further ado, I'm going to let Steve say hello as we welcome him to the show. Welcome, Steve. Thank you, Tonya. I'm happy to be here. I am very happy to be talking with you. You know, when you just meet those people that you're just like, I don't know what it is, but I just want to hang around with that person. That's kind of how I feel about you, Steve. Well, thank you. And I'm not saying this just because it feels like I'm supposed to, but the feeling is mutual. (laughs) I like it. And I appreciate the caveat there. So let's jump right in and talk about what are your superpowers? Well, in addition to uh, walking through walls and flying. Just those couple few things. Just those couple of things. Actually, I think there are two in particular. One is I have an ability to take complex ideas and make them really simple and accessible to people, which is reflected in my books. And I think it's one of the things that people appreciate about my message around extreme leadership. And the other is people tend to like me. And the reason is that, and I think this is really my superpower, that's, that's kind of the outcome of it, is that I really like people. My bias is to like people. So I think it shows up as a superpower because people really perceive that in me because it's real and it's genuine. So those are the two main things that that have served me well. I like that. And it's funny because part of the tasking that I undertook when we started taking on the whole superpower brand is I'm like, okay, well, if we're telling people that superpowers are real, then we probably should start kind of saying what they are, describing them, how people use them and everything else. And so I've been compiling a ton of information over the last year and a half or so on What are people really doing? And then not just the demonstrable ones that make people feel pretty cool, but how do they use them in the world? And so I love that you tied those things together because there are actual, I'm starting to see these traits that people have. So like people liking you, you know, that's why I was chuckling is is there is this real charisma piece that as I've done assessments after assessments after assessments on people, those who have it, in my opinion, have it for a very specific reason. And you outlined that reason beautifully where there is this kind of attraction principle that allows us to do our work in the world in terms of touching lives and affecting lives and creating change. And some people really do connect in that space as well as the synthesis piece, that information synthesis kind of superpower. I'll have to come up with a cool name for that. But that in and of itself is also a gift. And as I don't know if you've had this experience, but I think it's kind of typical for those of us who like to develop processes and deliver information. It's like once you start kind of constructing things, all the data kind of falls into place to say, oh, oh yeah, that fits here and that fits here. And so and so I like that you're talking about a couple of the more obscure superpowers, if you will, but they're pretty key to the type of work that you do. Yeah, they are. Now that I think about it, they're actually related in this way. 
when I'm communicating, and you know, I guess you could say I'm a professional communicator, both through speaking and writing, and everything in my business is it revolves around that. So when I'm communicating with somebody, my main concern is I want them to really get it, and I want them to really get it because I love people. Uh, you know, I said like before. The truth is, love is probably more accurate, particularly as I get to know people better. So if I love you, I really want you to understand. I really want you to get benefit out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is. So as opposed to communicating because I want to look smart or communicating because I want to show how experienced I am or accomplished. Mm-hmm. And you can tell when somebody has that agenda behind whatever it is they're saying or doing, it's all about them, right? So the two things are tied in together. And and as far as the liking slash loving people and therefore people reciprocate with that, there is another superpower that's related to it, I would think, that I I wouldn't call it a superpower, but it looks that way. And that is people are able to get people to like them, but the feeling is not mutual. You know what I mean? So there is such a thing as charisma that's not based in authenticity. Mm-hmm. The so-called charisma that's based in being able to put on a good show and just learning how to push the right buttons for people to respond in a certain way. So I think what's happening internally is really important in all this. So I knew you were our people. So you're absolutely speaking my language. When I set out on this trajectory, if you will, I was like, well, let's just teach people how to use their superpowers. And a lot of that is really tied up into this idea of collaboration because my bias is that you really don't get solid, consistent, reliable use of your superpowers until you've committed to use them for good. And my bias, again, is that that's for the collective. You know, it's not for personal gain. Although, of course, we're very self-serving people. It makes us feel good to do it. But the biggest shock to me was to find out that a lot of people weren't really ready to collaborate. And it's for exactly what you're talking about. And so I had to do a lot of, like, searching and being like, okay, what is going on here? Like I figured you build a system, they will come. So if you build a system that promotes collaboration, then people will collaborate. It's pretty simple, but they're not ready to collaborate. And where I had to step back from is this idea that, and I finally just broke up the journey into two parts. And that was the other reason why I was so excited to connect with you, because even as I was reading your book, I'm like, okay, I'm very clear on where you are in that part of the journey, because as people are walking up their mountain, you know, they're summiting their own mountain. That's that personal power journey, the hero's journey, if you will. They're doing it to figure out who they are, you know, and so we want to find our mission, our purpose. And it's a pretty like, it's establishing that internal self-confidence or, you know, I talk about sovereignty and, you know, our own authority, if you will. And the people who truly are in a position like you're talking about to use charisma and those attraction principles and all this stuff to do really good things in the world through that reciprocating kind of energy and synergy are have gotten to the top of their mountain and have already started walking down the other side to do their work in the world. And that's kind of the framework that I've put around it because I couldn't figure out why certain people could come into groups and to assist people from a certain perspective and others didn't. And that seems to be the delineating factor. If people are pretty well convinced of their own, I guess, just have a pretty clear understanding of who they are. So they've done some journeying, they've done some things in the world, they're no longer seeking to define themselves through their accomplishments. They're able to do that. Yeah, I hear you. And I think that's true. And I also think that that presents our great opportunity for people. And that's to get them to understand that the way up the mountain 
is to extend themselves in a loving and collaborative sort of a way. Yes, it seems to be a catch for sure. So yes, you know, there, there are people who, you know, who have accomplished a lot of things and now they're, they're starting to think about their legacy and you know, how they want to help people based on everything that they've learned. And I think, you know, what I try to teach people in my work is in large part, it doesn't matter how inexperienced you are. Even if you're a kid in middle school, you're going to achieve a lot more success by reaching out to others to help them which is really the theme behind Greater Than Yourself, which is, you know, my third book. The paradox that it presents is that, and this is from my experience of working with just about every kind of company you can imagine over the last 25 years or so, the greatest leaders become the greatest leaders by making others greater than themselves, which is a little bit of a paradox, right? If you want to be one of the greatest, then make sure that other people are greater than you. And I think that that's really critical from a very young age. That's the way up the mountain. And it's very, you know, for some people, that's counterintuitive because they've been trained to believe that mm-hmm. the way you succeed is by stepping out of other people's heads, not raising them up. Absolutely. So. And it's an ability to truly, again, I would still contend whether it's a child or someone who's been around for quite a while, it's still a, an ability to grasp the essence of who we are outside of those pieces, you know, maybe what we're programmed to believe or society tells us or whatever about how to figure out who we are through our accomplishments or checking boxes, but rather it's that connection piece. I mean, ultimately, if you believe in the fact that we're all seeking that connection to ourselves, to others, that type of thing, it's being able to remove yourself from the, I'm just going to call it materialistic. I'm not sure if that's a good word for it, but just the more kind of societal standards of success and really get in touch with that essence of ourselves. And so I think that that leads us back to what you're talking about, where when you connect with others and really do lift them up in a really genuine way, that feeds that sense of connection and further helps us know clearly who we are in the big essence of that soul concept. When you're filled with that, there's no need to go and seek that through superficial means. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good. Then we've solved all the world's problems in like, Excellent. you know, 10 minutes. That was awesome. So let's talk a little bit about extreme leadership. So tell me how all that came about. Well, Extreme leadership, first of all, let me, let me define, define it, to, at least to some degree. Extreme leadership is my way of saying real leadership. So not leadership by virtue of your position or title, but by virtue of your willingness to step up and change the world for the better, or at least your part of the world for the better. And, and this is a point of view that's developed over, as I mentioned a couple minutes ago, two and a half, more than two and a half decades of being out there in the, in the business world. And learning from people and as well as teaching and, you know, that, that's also a reciprocal sort of a thing. But I started out as a business guy. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur by nature. I was in the financial services industry. I had my own company before I was 30 years old. My own company and three kids before. <laughs> and I learned two things. I learned that I really love business, but I also learned that I hated the business that I was in. I was very ill-suited for uh, the commodities world, which is what I cut my teeth But I took my love for business and working with people and I started to funnel it into doing things like, you know, work. I started to teach workshops and communication workshops, business workshops that led into leadership work and consulting. And it just kind of evolved over the years, starting back in 1989 now. So over the years, over the decades, I've had this incredible exposure to so many people in the business world 
many of whom were incredible leaders and many of whom were, um, let's say, not. <laughs> and, you know, it's amazing. You can learn from both, right? Absolutely. Uh, I had, I had some, some phenomenal mentors like uh, Tom Peters, who is perhaps the original popular management guru, author of In Search of Excellence, and Jim Kuzis, the author of The Leadership Challenge. And, and I just had these incredible people that, you know, in my young formative years, I was able to work with and learn from. And over the years, I developed my own point of view, found my own voice in how I communicate this. And really what it comes down to is that extreme leadership is in many ways, what it comes down to is operationalizing, if that's the right word, love as a business and leadership principle. And that really is the foundation of what I teach and have been teaching for quite some time. That love is just damn good business. That if you want to succeed as an entrepreneur, as a business person, as a human being, that the same thing applies, right? Succeeding as a business person and succeeding as a human being are the same thing. You know, this this idea that somehow business is less human or the normal things that we appreciate as people don't apply when we go to work is just, it's insanity. So, Really, it's about understanding how we take what's already there instinctually and naturally for us as people and bringing that to bear on everything that we do, including work. And that's the uh, cultivating love. I love that. that I've often talked about the Ogmandino book, uh, The Greatest Salesman, and that's been talked about, you know, I was in corporate America. I don't, oh goodness, back anyway. It was a while ago. And, you know, that's like the the greatest book and people were following it. But I finally broke it out and read it. And I thought it was really fascinating that in all the discussions I'd heard of it being used as a sales kind of technique, no one ever talked about what I thought was the most crucial point, which was him suggesting that before you sit down and talk with somebody that you say, I love you to that person. And I was like, at least internally and, and exude that sort of energy toward them. And I was like, isn't it funny that that got left out of all the conversations I ever heard about it? This is nothing new. What's new, I think, is, and I take a lot of encouragement from this because I spend a good deal of my working life speaking at conferences and meetings and and all that, right? So I, I communicate these ideas to hardcore business people. So I get invited in to speak at, like, for example, you know, I was in in Charlotte, North Carolina last week to speak to the 500 managers of a big real estate company. Mm -hmm. And these are, you know, by all outward appearances, these are are business people, right? (laughs) Therefore, you shouldn't go in there and talk about love. That's California touchy-feely hoo-ha crap. They're not going (laughs) to. And of course they get it. They're just not used to it. Mm -hmm. Somebody like myself who's a business guy standing up in front of them and saying, hey, it's really about love, and here's why, and here's the case for it, here's the evidence for it, here's an example, 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 and here's what you should do about it. it. It just, we've avoided it because we all make, it's very weird, there's like this collective assumption that people are going to disregard us if we use that language, but yet when we start talking about it, nobody disregards us because yeah. we use that language. It's a common myth that we bought into yeah. So, you know, Og Mandino writing about this, I mean, that, when was that book written? In the oh, I don't even 50s, remember. 60s, I don't yeah. know. But, you know, it's, uh, yes, it was there. Like you said, it was there, but nobody talks about it because we're not, we think we're not supposed to. Yeah. To ourselves. And then what's really, what's so cool is when people are given permission to actually explore it and not just use the word. It's not just about saying, oh, I love you, man. It's about thinking, what does that look like in the way that we do business? What does that look like in the way that we interact with each other? 
that, that's where it becomes business practice. And what I find encouraging about all this is that there is less and less resistance over the years to this idea. I used to feel like I had to really make a hard case for it. And I always do, still do, but I don't feel like it's as necessary as it used to be. People just kind of, they get it more readily, which says to me that we're evolving as uh, human beings, as business people, you know, whereas 15 years ago, if you started talking about meaning and discovering your why, as Simon Sinek calls it, it was very kind of squishy. And now everybody's doing it. Squishy. I love it. Well, and I think it goes back to what you were talking about, the idea of the separation between your work and your personal life is starting to kind of merge together. I, you know, a while back I started calling it a holistic life, you know, where your work is your life, your life is your work and not in an unhealthy way, but you know, Justin, I've heard Justin say to people, you know, we're a 24 seven family. Like we do, you know, that this is how we operate. And so there is no, you go to work for eight hours and then you come home and put on a different persona. Like it's just not, or take off the work persona, I guess. And so I do see that kind of languaging and those conversations happening in workplaces as well as in home life. And as those merge more and more together, it kind of stands to reason that that we'd have to start talking about, well, how are we connected and how do we want to be connected and how do we want to interact with our coworkers? And I agree with you, you know, because I like to deal with like multidimensional concepts and frequencies and dimensions. I never really know if it's that we have accepted that into our own existence. Therefore, we see it more and are welcoming more of it or truly the world is changing. I don't know that we can ever have an unbiased perspective of that, but I choose to believe that the world is changing, you know, and and that we do see more of that as a whole. And I also contend that there are people who don't see that still. And so that's where those conversations come into play about what are you capable of seeing and and believing is seeing. And and I choose to believe that that's happening and therefore I I see it a lot more, but either way, the end result is things are much more enjoyable. So, you know, it works, it works regardless. That's right. That's right. We don't really, we don't always need to know why. No. <laughs> so that does help. Because, you know, if we understand it at a deeper level as to the reasoning behind it or what's going on, it just sometimes makes it easier to apply it. Instead of just- I agree. Yeah. And so that's something that I ponder often. So do you think that we are truly understanding why or that we're creating the why? I don't know. I think I'm like you it sounds like. I don't know that I really have to know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. I'm always willing to admit that the reality as I perceive it is that when people allow their hearts into their work and have love and compassion for their customers and their colleagues, that great things happen. And when I say great things, again, I don't mean just the great things like I'm happier at work, which is really important, but great mm-hmm. things like increased profitability, greater customer retention, lower staff turnover. All those things happen when we're doing something that's just so fundamentally human. Mm, and, I love it. You know, so therefore, is it because we want it more? Is it because the world is changing? Is it because we're changing it? I guess in the final analysis, I don't really care. I love it. So let's tell people a little bit about how you work I know you've mentioned you go into corporations and businesses and stuff. Do you work one-on-one with folks? I do. There's a couple of things that we do that anybody can participate in. First of all, we run the Extreme Leadership Workshop here in San Diego a couple of times a year. We do a public forum. So most of my work traditionally has been I get hired to come in and speak to companies, which means that 
that you know a lot of people can't participate in it unless they happen to work for that company or go to that association meeting. So we started doing these public workshops in San Diego. We do a one-day extreme leadership workshop that goes deep into the LEAP framework, which is love, energy, audacity, and proof that's outlined in the book, The Radical LEAP. And then, and then for those that want to take it deeper, we offer a certification program that continues for the next three days. So for people that, that want to become licensed and certified, actually learn the workshop and teach it and however they want to do it in their own business, start a business around it, integrate it into their lives, however they choose, then they can, you know, they stay for the full four days here in San Diego and we finish it all up with a barbecue at my house, which is why we do this thing to begin with. It's all about the barbecue. You know, as as long as you're clear on that. Any excuse for a party. Um, And then working one-on-one with folks, I I do that as well as as a mentor, but it's not something that I honestly market it. There's nothing on my website that suggests it. It's just, yeah, I, I just kind of take it on a case-by-case basis for people that want to do that. Cool. So, yeah. And then, you know, we are in the process of uh, expanding our business and making these ideas and these programs and these products available to people on a wider basis. We're just about to launch an e-course called the Extreme Leadership Edge, which turned out great. Uh, we're just ironing out the last few technological things, and then we'll be launching that as well. So that'll be available on the website at stevefarber.com soon. Very cool. Very cool. So we can send them there, and then is, is there anywhere else you'd like to send them if they want to find out more about you? Yeah, stevefarber.com is the place to go. It's the place to be and the place to go. <laughs> um, Everyone's doing it. <laughs> you can't remember my name, and you can only remember Extreme Leadership. That'll take you to the same place, extremeleadership.com. Well, very cool. Well, I love speaking with you, Steve, and I'm really excited to see what you create next in the world. And I appreciate knowing that you're out there, you know, making some waves and shifting things. And it makes me excited to be a human being beside you these days. Well, thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say, and I do the best I can to live up to what, uh, to what I teach. Perfect. I love it. Well, very cool. Thank you for joining us today. And to All of you out there, as always, we appreciate your loyalty. And until next time, go out, uncover your superpowers, and change the world. Take care. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and discover your superpowers today.